This is Staying Alive, the podcast, and I'm Louis J, your host, and thank you for joining me today. We have had an incredible week of news in southern Ontario, uh, where we're from, of course, and thank you for joining us if you've uh, come across the pond. We've had some people from England that have sent a very nice email saying that they enjoy this, uh, this format and the fact that we're kind of getting our feet wet and figuring out, uh, you know, what our story is. But uh, I'm grateful. I think having those communications and those connections around the world from, you know, what started out to be just a conversation is uh, a very good takeaway. But, yeah, we've been bombarded with news in the last uh, 10 days, and it's been very heavy. It's been it's been very difficult to navigate what's next and what's new. And, uh, of course, as always, Frank is here with me, so we're going to talk about some of those things today. Hey, Frank. Good uh, morning. How are you? <laughs> Good morning, bud. Yeah, I'm really well. I mean, I'm I'm as usual opt- optimistically looking for something great to come our way, and um, I can't wait to see that come to light. Um, however, there's been some challenging moments. I mean, we're talking about <clears throat> the recent um, lockdown, shutdown, open. Uh, really, uh, it depends on who you're asking, but I can't tell you at any particular time of the day, what we're doing, because it's so confusing. Our local, our local politicians, you know, have uh, repeatedly said that they are following the direction of their chief medical officers. And of course, we're talking about COVID yet again. Um, I always feel like we're kind of just whining about it. And I, I, I never want to be that, that guy or that, that conversation that's just whining without some actionable items. But anyway, um, We've heard forever that the direction was always going to be taken from the advice of the chief medical professionals. And that sounds like a good story until you recognize that they're not speaking the same language anymore and they're not taking the advice of their top medical advisors. And that just happened where Ontario, um, you know, had moved into a number of different zones, uh, which are already confusing to begin with, but then you add to it that they're modifying zones mm. and that becomes another layer of confusion because you, you can't really understand why. And, and when you hear that it's conflicting um, what the advisors are suggesting they do, then you're even more confused. And what happens there is we lose faith. We lose confidence in our leadership. And I think confidence is so eroded right now that it's going to really prevent any actionable items that can come out with a positive result because people are just, tired they're really at the uh, end of the rope I say there's no more rope um, but we just saw it happen you know we were put into a modified uh, lockdown a different zone which allowed you know capacity um, visits for retail environments it didn't allow it did not allow personal services to open uh, nail salons barbershops um, um, hair salons and personal gyms uh, things to that effect it didn't allow those things to open, um, but you could shop and you could shop in retail environments at a 25% capacity. And you could also shop in essential um, retail environments like grocery stores at 50% capacity. So that, you know, was a direction and a change that we all kind of just listened to. Um, we adopted quite quickly. We criticized it in a lot of respects thinking, wait a minute, the case count seemed to be going up. Why are we allowing this to happen? 
Um, but I think for the most part, it was something that was wanted and small business owners were happy they can open their stores again and get people to do more than curbside pickup. So you have this conflict. Is it is it commerce and economy over health and safety? And that's been the challenge and the dichotomy uh, of this whole conversation from day one. For a year. Past a year. For past a year yeah. now. And so, like, for me, that seemed to be, okay, well, are, are we all in this? You know, because as we see the large businesses thrive, um, we still have kind of like um, – uh, a mounting pressure on small business to be able to figure out what's next. And then <laughs> the announcement that personal services would reopen on April 12th. And um, that again became an announcement that flew in the face of every direction that we heard before that. Every conversation was, we're listening to our medical officers. And the minute that announcement was made, um, we heard the reactions from the medical community. Quickly. Very quickly, they're saying, what is it that you're doing? Why would we even consider this? We're almost at capacity for our ICU uh, beds, and we're going to strain and stress our system beyond its capabilities, and that we know uh, isn't what we're out for. It's not going to be a sustainable solution. So what exactly are we doing? I quite frankly thought it was a pacifier. Mm -hmm. It was an announcement to get the pressure off them, Small business has been screaming for now upwards of six, eight months. You know, we kind of all listened to the beginning, followed the direction because that's what we do. Um, some people opposed it. And for the most part, I think that we all just were waiting for solid direction. And here we are, you know, a year later and your opening really, like I said, flew in the face of, of logic. Yeah. It didn't make any sense. ICU beds were on the rise. The numbers were on the rise. Um, yet you thought it was okay to uh, open up patios within 24 hours. Um, and then a week later, um, you were going to allow uh, personal services to open, you know, with some modifications, uh, capacity inside the environments again. And so, well, the restaurants scrambled to get their patios ready, um, invested thousands and thousands of dollars, you know, just think about what happens when somebody says you get the chance to go tomorrow at midnight. I mean, A, you want to take advantage of it because you need to recoup, right. but you've gone out now and you've bought outdoor heaters. You may have erected a tent. You might have to purchase or rent a tent, no less the, the flooring for patios that would have had to been, you know, immediately erected. And then think about the business operation behind that. The inventory, the food inventory, the booze inventory, the beer inventory. I heard uh, the owner from Antler Restaurant downtown uh, bought two kegs, full kegs, tapped them because they said you could open. And now he, he said, I'm sending the bill to the uh, premier. I've heard a lot of those stories too, where they're like, uh, reopening costs need to be covered. We need to be whole because you basically gave us the green light. And let's recognize this. In a lot of respects, they don't know when, if, and how. So I get that. You know, we've got to be nimble. We've got to be flexible. However, there's been such a long runway to understand more now than we ever have about how this operates and, and what it takes to, to reopen and the effort that small business has to, to, to kind of dive through the hoops and loops to be able to get there, only to say that 
<laughs> a week after you've been given permission and the green lights are a go that you now have to shut it all down. And that, of course, for us, when they announced that we were opening, I, I um, cautiously uh, held back. We ordered inventory. There was no question, uh, like most retailers, because when the doors are open, if I'm allowed to sell, I need to be able to move product and get them in the hands of people that want them the most. So that's the business we're in, you know. So, of course, you want the shelves to be stocked. So we place our inventory order, um, and just like the restaurants, we talked to our staff, we rescheduled, we came up with opening week schedule because you inevitably are going to be packed, mm -hmm. um, well, packed in the sense of constantly have bookings. Um, and then you have to go through the retraining, the, the you know, what's going to happen for a reopening training. So you schedule your staff for that. They spend time on Zoom calls with you. Uh, if you're doing this right, you know, there's so much preparation that has to happen. I thought it was, like I said, a pacifier because they gave restaurants 24 hours notice and they gave personal services two weeks. Here's the businesses that have been <laughs> patiently waiting. We closed down November 23rd, worst possible time. We closed down November 23rd, like every other personal services shop. Um, 2020? 2020. And what happened there was we cleaned our shops we um, we did all the precautions to be able to be ready for reopening when we did get the reopening. And then, of course, you get the go-ahead, the green light, you're coming back in and you're cleaning again. So our shops were ready to go. And with what could have been a half-a-day effort, maybe a day, a full day um, to, to prepare, we were given two weeks for it, <laughs> whereas restaurants that were already kind of, you know, uh, at capacity because they were doing takeout, had their team rolling in a very familiar environment, were given 24 hours to completely disrupt that environment. So we should really take a hard look at why the two-week notice and was it a, a complete setup from the beginning? Like, this is the problem. When we get this information, there's no explanation. They say they're transparent, but there's no explanation. Once again, they never present any data whatsoever that tells us, look, folks, 2,000 people came and sat on this outdoor restaurant. 1,400 of them got sick. Here's our contact tracing list. We got to shut it down. Nothing. It's just, boom, no outdoor dining. And I understand, look, look I understand. It's this whole health and safety and, and morbidity, right? Like, yep. we, we just don't want people to die and get no, sick. No, I get it. But where is the data that shows that that is the right move? When all the other data is telling us by whistleblowers that an Amazon plant has 400 cases in there and they're not shut down. It's, that doesn't make any sense. That's where I, I think that you're right. Communication is lacking. Uh, there's no transparency to it. And quite frankly, I don't need to know everything. I don't need to know the inner workings of how they make decisions. However, just shedding some light would give me the confidence that I think that they're good decisions because when you arbitrarily put out, you know, uh, an open, a close, an open, a close, and we don't understand why, then we face that challenge where, again, um, we're losing confidence. And when you lose confidence in your people, then you've got nobody to help author your story. And this is, it's not it's not limited to this COVID environment. It's, it's, it's a conversation around leadership. You know, this could be translated into business at any at any time during this conversation. You could take COVID out of it and put mm -hmm. in leadership and 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 talk about how leadership leads. And 
when you haven't communicated effectively, clearly with purpose and with drive and what with the intention, goal, what the goal is, yeah, right? But yeah, when you get into that intention, what are we looking to do here? And if we don't get to our goal, what's going to happen as a result? Then I think you got to break it down. And in a lot of cases, when you get back to that, you know, um, that idea of I'm here to guide you, and we're making decisions on your behalf, then I think it's their obligation and responsibility to make that very clear. And they haven't. And this, of course, was evidenced yet again um, two or three days ago when they came out with, um, you know, conversations that said the schools are going to be shut down. We're going to online learning in Peel anyway. In our in our region, we're going to online learning for two weeks. And all we've heard, you know, for the, the course of the last couple of months, maybe more, is that schools need to stay open. They are a safe environment. And we keep on hearing about all these outbreaks that are happening. So one more, you know, fuel to the fire where I've lost confidence in what you've said, because it just doesn't make sense. It's not true. Well, there's definitely two camps now from uh, not the premier's office, but I mean, the premier is saying one thing and then the health experts are saying another at first, he was saying, we just listen to the health experts. Right. And then they started pushing this narrative where schools are safe, schools are safe, schools are safe. And I wonder where that comes from. I believe that they're trying to prevent any kind of uh, renegotiating tactic with with the school unions. This, this is just my theory. It's like they're definitely trying to avoid something because there's an end, end game after COVID. And you know that, that this... Um, this party really wants to take a lot of funding out of out of the education system, and it seems like a lot of parents are very upset about what's going on, and uh, and I totally understand. But it just seems like there's there's a motive behind pushing that narrative of schools are safe. Maybe they are, maybe they're not, but they're not proving it. They're not showing us any data saying, look, you know, out of all the thousands of schools that are open, we've had one case. Right. So clearly, and it, it and I see it through my kids. It is good for them to be. <laughs> with their friends being being with masks on and everything but man for their mental state it's it's awesome and we have to be concerned about that too because there's your physical and mental state that we want to make sure that we remain healthy but soon after when the medical professionals come up there and and announce that the schools are closed it's like oh is there a power struggle going on now Mm -hmm. now this is like you know we don't want to turn it political but it is yeah and and as as um, people from this province, the, the public, we are so confused right now because one, the leader is saying this and the professionals, the health professionals are saying that. That's, um, that's where we have the biggest challenge. And if you're really trying to, to get a momentum or a movement going, you've got to be clear. And it's clear that they haven't been. The, the bigger challenge for us is when we hear little sound bites that we take away and that becomes the part of the conversation. I mean, what have you talked about to any of your friends other than COVID, you know, for, yeah. the, last, for the last, it seems like 100 years? If I see somebody I haven't seen in a while, it's like, t- please tell me something new. Yeah, please. <laughs> I'm it, and it is, please tell me something new. And it's like, what do you want me to say? It's the same. And then it slowly guides into, isn't this crazy? What are they doing now? And then we start analyzing and trying to break down where, where all the bad decisions and good decisions were made. Yeah, we're armchair critics. And, and, we're, that, and we still not in the know. We don't have the data to, 
you know, we're a bunch of knuckleheads here talking about this stuff. That's what I said. I'm just a humble merchant that if I don't get it and, you know, I'm trying to be the average, you know, like what happens here? And so me being the average guy, um, having conversations with my family and friends, and when we all conclude that we don't understand what's happening, then it tells me that you've done a really piss poor job of getting that message out. And we are no further ahead in the understanding than we were when I can go back to March now, March mm-hmm. 2020. And that's where uh, our biggest challenges for our movement forward are going to be presented. We just don't have the faith anymore. And, you know, I'll bring up something that Christine Elliott said um, in in the press release when they were going to do. To and do. who's she? Um, so she's Minister of um, Health. Okay. Now I feel like I'm, she's a Minister of of I believe health I'm gonna Google Ontario. Um, this is a new thing we're doing now. We're googling stuff on the fly. On the fly. You know we're so advanced here at the Staying Alive uh, podcast that all of the research we do with our research department in advance of this is we really are we're really being conscious of how we <laughs> prepare for these. In any case, Christine Elliott said this: Deputy Premier of Ontario. I'm sorry, geez, Christine, my apologies. Deputy Premier of Ontario. Point was, it's just she was speaking about mental health. That was uh, why I confused her with um, with uh, Minister of Health. In any case, um, the question to her was, if ICU beds are filling and the numbers are showing that we're on the rise and you're imposing a modified lockdown, why wouldn't you just go to a stay-at-home order? Isn't that the logical thing to do? And the response to that question and a, a variety of questions like that was... For the mental health of our young people and adults, and I'm not sure what lies in between, um, but the mental health of our young people and adults, we believe that a stay-at-home order um, is not the right thing to do for us right now when we want them to get outside and enjoy the weather as the weather starts getting better. It's really important to be able to be outside. And that, again, is a confusing message because in our last stay-at-home order, we were told that it's okay to go for walks, you know, with somebody in the household, that you really should get outside and enjoy the the weather when it came in. I get that. Um, But here's the reality. Here's what they have missed in that conversation. Nobody cares how beautiful the weather is and how much of a a sun-shining day it is when you are consumed by the fact you might not make rent, mm-hmm. when you're consumed by the fact that you don't know where your car payment's coming from, when you've got to explain to your children that they can't get um, what they were asking for because that's the lifestyle that you've lived their entire life and now you've got to be cautious in how you spend. Um, the sun doesn't matter when you're food insecure. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening to people that, that work for small business, that own small business, um, they're facing the fact that they may not have enough to, to not only not keep the business open, but now how does that translate into their personal lives? So I could tell you quite quickly that you're out of touch when you say that it's for the mental health of our young people and adults to be able to get outside when we all know that if we look to leaders around the world that have eradicated this disease uh, or this virus and or have flattened the curve to a point where it's ahead of the, uh, the curve, where they've controlled it. You look at New Zealand, you look at Singapore, you look at Taiwan, um, uh, Vietnam, 
uh, and I can't think of some other places, but the examples were that they were aggressive, mm -hmm. that the leaders were like very aggressive, very determined. They communicated well. They were clear in their, in their direction. Everybody understood why they were doing it. And the goal was that after 28 days, we are going to squash this and then we're going to get back to some uh, semblance of normal. And they did that, yeah. you know, and if in fact there was the, 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 um, uh, potential danger or it presented itself again, then they shut it down again. And they did it in a way that was systematic and everybody knew and they participated because they respected the leadership. So when you've got a disconnected leadership that says that I'm interested in making sure that you can get out and enjoy the sunshine when people are on the brink of um, collapse, right? Collapse, yeah. depression, anxiety, add to that the fact that they just don't know. And when I'm, at least going to hang on to some faith that something's got, you know, a good decision-making process in the background and that's out the window now. Like, I don't think you're, you're really, you really haven't well represented you, the people that have put you in power, you know, and, and that's evidenced by how many people are angry by the fact that the decision makers aren't coming close to suffering the same challenges that you and I and a bunch of people like us are, they've not gone without a paycheck. They've right. not gone without their benefits. They've been able to, to manage their lives very much the same um, as pre COVID mm -hmm. with the exception ideally of them following rules. And we've even seen leadership compromise that, you know, where they've been caught in other regions and they've taken trips and, you know, that's when, all of us kind of look at each other, go and go. What's going on here, man? Yeah. Like, I'm not listening to you. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of it. My, my biggest challenge, my biggest issue, is this obvious disconnect with the people that have put you in place. We have been asking for X, Y, and Z for a long time, I'll, and I, I don't want to be that complaining guy, like I said, but I can't help it. Like, you go back to our lockdown on November 23rd, from a retail perspective. Why, the cases were already rising at the beginning of November. Why right. would you not have been aggressively attacking the situation then? Shut everything down. And I'm, I'm, I'm being frank about this. No, you're frank. Mm -hmm. I'm being Louie about this. There would have been uh, some pushback, I'm sure. There would have been some complaining. But if we had have been told, listen, guys, I'm really sorry, but we need to put this, you know, flame out, so we're going to have to douse a lot of water on it. It means that we're going to shut everything down for 28 days, 14 days. I don't care. But it's going to be a mass shutdown. Well, and you also hear at that time, uh, the borders are closed. All all flights have stopped. That didn't happen. It never happened. My house, I live near the airport. And from time to time, the planes pass uh, over our neighborhood, depending on the wind direction. Well, for days... For days, planes were continuing to land. It's like, okay, I understand there's FedEx and, and there's the shipping aspect of it, but it was like, you know, I was, we were, we were getting the flight path app, and it would tell you where the planes were coming from and oh, wow. what the. It was amazing, but it was like, what's going on? I thought it was shut down, and then the borders, like all the shipping and everything, kept going. The commerce part, but still, it's like, is it a shutdown or is it a shutdown? And. Um, I, you know, I really wish even even the second go around, they could have said, look, everything stops. 14 days, everything stops. Everything stops. You have two weeks to stock up. Yep. You have two weeks to prepare, and we're going on a staycation. Yeah. And that's it. Nothing moves. Don't even start your car up. 
everything just a pause reset. Just pause reset. Uh, I mean, I think where would we be right now? That's that's the you know you don't have that you know like I said before rear view music mirrors are small (laughs) yeah because you got to look back at the small things. However, that would have been massive for us. We would have been able to have a case against it. We would have seen the results against it, and then we would have known if this is the right thing for us to move forward. So we didn't do that number two uh, wave. We're at number three wave. This is the third time they've had the opportunity to do the right thing, and they haven't. Even even these modified lockdowns come under major criticism because, as you saw um, on all social media channels, that Ontario's in lockdown again, and then they 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 pan to Yorkdale Mall. Yes, and I'm like, if this is lockdown, if this if we were to fast forward this 50 years from now and left that little video clip in in the the what's it called time capsule? Yeah, that's the pandemic days. Remember the pandemic days <laughs> when they locked us down? You remember what they you, did? You see what they did? And look at Yorkdale Mall and and the you know IKEA thousands yeah. of people, thousands you know, and of course. Man, I feel like a broken record, but they're not distancing. They're not following the rules. You know, there's nobody doing temperature checks like small business like ours would have been doing. So anyway, all that aside, I just, I think I feel like a broken record and nobody's listening. Um, and to that point, now I think there's this social or not social, civil um, demonstration. There's a civil protest that's about to mount and a lot of people have asked me to head it and i'm i'm concerned because i only like doing things that are productive yeah that are going to come out with an end game and we're going to move forward and um i think maybe it might be the time when you know civil disobedience becomes part of the conversation and we need to to rally to let our governments know guys like we're tired of this you you can't you can't have a conversation where somebody's not confused. That's a problem. And what you're saying doesn't make anybody happy. Like we're not we're not getting what we need from you. So you, you better listen or else that civil disobedience will turn into something else. And then it's total anarchy and yeah. chaos. Like what's yeah. going to happen then? Well, and that's just it. Like that's one of the questions that I had for today's podcast is like, you know, we're always, uh, when I have, see see friends or whatever and we start discussing that and, and we point out the flaws and then it always ends with well what are you what are you, what are you gonna do yeah, right what are you gonna do what can you do and it's like fingers crossed what can we do i don't want to be just the guy who's pointing out flaws and complaining about it i also want to pr- present ideas right to go what about this and how do we make this flourish into something like you did a great thing on social media with the white flag and I noticed uh, more people in your community that were business owners were waving the white flag in front of their, in front of their uh, small businesses to to you know, make that point that we surrender. You guys have really decimated us, and and here we are. But it, it caught on, and it's like how do we how do we present ideas so that we don't sound like we're shouting? We don't mm-hmm. sound like oh we hate you because you're this party or. I don't give a shit what party you're 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 Doesn't in. Matter. I don't yeah. care. No, I want decision makers and smart thinkers. Um, and also too, if you're going to lay out a plan, you need to kind of present the details and why. Not this is just it. It's like, look, we have we have we're gonna we're gonna take the model from wherever where it was successful and try and apply it here. That's a great <laughs> conversation. Right. Okay. Tell us what they did over there. 
well, what's different from that area compared to this? Well, okay, they're an island. All right, a little easier to stop right. stop the flow of things. Okay, so how do we mitigate that? Get that conversation going. Put that into place and see see what the result is. It. You said it on the last podcast. If you continue to do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. It's your definition of insanity. Right. That that's uh, So a couple of things there. Um, I'm going to describe what that white flag campaign was. Yeah. Um, that really came out of an opportunity for us. I mean, we, we just came in to start cleaning the shops. And then that same day, the announcement was that we will no longer be opening uh, personal services businesses on April the 12th. And for us, it was like, like I said, for me, I had an idea that it wasn't going to happen to begin with, but I still, I joined my community and I moved forward with intent and happiness and was very uh, celebratory in the fact that we are going to get back to something. And so we prepared. But when we got that announcement that day, it felt like the rug got pulled out from underneath us. And we all just looked at each other and said, what is going on here? Like, what really is going on? So my response um, is almost always to amplify tragedy with comedy. Yeah. <laughs> because I feel like, yeah, you can scream and shout and be very angry and frustrated. And that I think there's a place for. Um, I'm not quite there yet. I'm not far from it, I guess. But I thought we could make a bigger story by amplifying this tragedy and using some humor along the way. Mm. And so from behind the cash register here, I I raised the 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 white flag, which is almost always um a symbol of surrender. And you know, when does that happen? It happens when a soldier can't fight anymore. Right. That they have to give up because they need now to be protected because they're going to lose their lives. Right. And that's when you give up and right. you surrender. And I felt helpless. I felt like I can't do anything more. I can't do anything for my community. I'm now going to be challenged to do things for charity, which is something that I'm very, very active and part of, and I want to continue doing that. Even if I'm challenged, I still know people are way more challenged than me. I constantly want to give. Now I can't do that. And so I keep on seeing these moments of frustration where it's like, I, I give up, man. And I don't think the story of surrender, it can be taken many different ways, like you're just going to turn around and, and you know take the beatings. Um, that's not what's happening here at all. That effort to raise the white flag was to simply be a symbolic representation of we give up on you. That's the story. I'm giving up on you and your direction because you are not making me comfortable, happy, understanding. You haven't done anything to really make me feel like I need to support this any longer. And now left to my own devices, I would consider that white flag campaign um, more like a, a reset and more like a Trojan horse. And I'm we glad, all know what happened there. Yeah. And I'm glad that you explained that because I look at you, you're an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs never surrender. They always seem like they're digging through uh, an unsurmountable mountain uh, of problems to solve to to bring a business to where they want it to be in in their mind, and when you you know that's a question that I wanted to ask too as a person that's in a business is like when do you surrender or do you ever surrender? Um, <laughs> because some people might have a vision of this idea of a concept or whatever and they bring it to fruition, but a, a lot of people probably say this is not going to work. Um, because of X, Y, Z, and they just, right. sometimes they get blinded and 
for the sake of monies and dollars, like when do you surrender or do you surrender? I mean, I, I, I've said it before where I think entrepreneurs are um, problem solvers, natural engineers to solve problems and overcome challenges. That's, I think, one of our superpowers. Mm-hmm. Um, however, everybody's got their own threshold for pain and the tolerance levels vary and that could be financially motivated it could be emotionally motivated and in this case you've thrown every possible challenge at small business um at schools at you know uh at work environments if you're an employee you've thrown every possible challenge at them and it breaks my heart to see when somebody finally does give up and the paper goes in the windows and you don't see that business any longer because you know that that had to have been their breaking point and there was no point of return. That's, to me, a very, very sad reality. And knowing that um, that was preventable, uh, I would hope that there was a chance to prevent it and we didn't, then that's where it becomes, you know, more of a tragedy than anything where you now recognize that they had to give up everything. What did they put into it? You know, and how long were they moving forward with this? Just like, here's the other part of that story. So there's been some relief along the way. Uh, Let me just finish off on the white flag. Mm -hmm. So there has been momentum. There has been movement and we've seen small business start to say, I'm with you, brother. I'm with you. We've also seen some criticism saying never surrender. I want you to understand clearly. This is not, um, a surrender movement. It's I give up on you. I'm surrendering you. You you no longer um, give me the faith and confidence that you can direct things that are going to be uh, in my favorable outcome, the benefit that I'm looking for. So that's where that flag turns into a unification flag. It becomes a representation, a visible uh, symbol to say we're done. Like we are done. That doesn't mean we're out. That just means that you've pushed us to all the limits and we're going to have to come up with a new plan. And that's all I've been asking for the whole time, come up with a new plan. And to your point about, so what happens when we all start talking about this and, and, and have our own ideas and how do we share that and, and get emotion going to be able to say, this is what you should be doing. And, you know, we all have the faith that the people that are in control and we've elected are all, you know, um, connected and, 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 uh, educated and make logical decisions, we're beginning to question whether that's the case or not. Because collectively, if you came out with a story that 90% of your population didn't get, then I don't think you did a good job collectively. Mm-hmm. You know, So I'm not convinced that these this is the right group to make this decision. But my point is, is that what do you do when you raise the flag and you say, I'm done, I think you should do it like this? How do you actually become a voice for change? And I've noticed this is the beauty of the time we're living in right now. Mm. We are so connected that um, there's a number of organizations and um, uh, associations that have popped up literally overnight. Uh, the Al, you know, the Beauty Alliance of Canada, the um, uh, you know Women in in Business Alliance of Canada. Like, there's been these groups that have been spearheaded by people that were just sick and tired of listening and not doing and not having a place to put their voice. They've created platforms, websites, uh, petitions for us to, to share and support. And I think that those are important, you know, vehicles to be able to get those messages across. Um, so I would say in your neighborhood, 
then start looking for if you feel like you your your voice isn't being heard, but you know a number of people are speaking your same language, then look for those associations. Um, sign up for their newsletter. Sign the petition. Let them present on your behalf the things that you think are going to move this forward and get us out of this rut. Uh, my thinking is that it's going to be information that they've all considered that they haven't acted on. But when enough people rally behind it, you've got no choice but to listen. Mm-hmm. You know, me as an independent business here raising a white flag would be very um, unceremonious. It would be uneventful. Um, but now that we've got 10 of them on the lakeshore in my community, people are starting to ask the question, what's that mean? You know, I saw one of the business owners the other day putting up the white flag. And as I went over to take a quick photo, one of the passerbys said, uh, you're not giving up, are you? And he said, no, I'm fighting. And, you know, I love the fact that you know, although it represents one thing in most people's minds, we can come out with a new narrative and right. say, this is not exactly what it means. Let's be prepared for what it's about to mean. And that's where I think we've got a, we've got an opportunity as a community to be able to rally behind Somebody that's prepared to present ideas, right? Share ideas, exchange this, you know, notion. You know where else is that? That's been most evident in this. Um, I would consider this a fairly flawed vaccine rollout, um, and I say flawed because you know there has been a eight month runway here, yep. like on how to logistically put this together and do it right, and sadly. Um, we saw massive lineups for seniors that couldn't stand in the cold for two or three hours. We've seen registration challenges for the online, you know, appointment booking system for people that don't have computers. And, you know, you see politicians that are very, very happy to be able to drive you to the polls to have you vote for them. But I haven't seen that in trying to find people that need to get vaccinated and not have the wherewithal to get to a vaccination center. I haven't seen the, the, the kind of commitment that you see when people need their vote. So that to me is, is a real, a real sticking point. Um, the, the challenge there is, is that we saw logistics people criticize the rollouts. And then we saw almost an immediate overturn of some of these environments where it was like, that was hugely inefficient two days ago. And then they got it. Mm-hmm. They, they got it going. They had, you know, consultation from other people they started drive-in um, uh, vaccination centers uh, that were modeled from people that said, this is completely flawed. You should be doing drive-ins here, and this is how your drive-in should be working, and they, they made it to the news. So um, they actually listened to outside sources. Well, it, it would appear that way. Otherwise, uh, maybe it was a trial and error process for them where they had that in their back pocket, and they employed it once they realized that their solution wasn't effective. But I saw criticism right away, which then I think put pressure on them. Right. And that's with that mounted um, rally behind uh, a motion, like to say, I don't get it. Here's what I think you should do. And by the way, there's there's 100,000 people behind me that also think we should be doing like this. Right. And if, if we're going to really hurt, um, if we're really going to hurt or affect change, then we've got to do it where it's going to hurt. And 100,000 people that are voting means that there's 100,000 people that could be either yes or no. Right. So, you know, if that's the goal, and sometimes I think this posturing and this, you know, decision-making is really to make sure that the next vote is secured, then if that is your goal, I don't care. 
just do what these people over here think right. you should be doing. Let's get behind this and let's get this thing done. You know, people say to me, you should be rallying. You should be the charge and rallying people together um, because this lockdown is, you know, going to kill business. Here's the thing. I'm not opposed to lockdowns. And that's probably shocking to a lot of people because most small business people saying I need to be open. I'm saying safe reopen. I'm saying logical plan. I'm saying if we need to be locked down, then it's all or nothing. Don't give me a lockdown that has, you know, um, my neighbors and their neighbors and their neighbors shopping at the mall for the newest, you know, I don't know, T-shirt. That's not necessary. You know, I'm saying that it's never been commerce over care. And that's where I think if I speak to any small business owner, they've also agreed with that. We're not asking for things that are that are reckless or irresponsible. We're asking for responsible, safe reopening, put protocols in place, you know, um, and more than anything, level the playing field and er erase the inequities that you've created here with that monster and Goliath and this David over here, because that's who we are. But now we're beginning to realize that we are a big force. Right. There's over 400,000 small businesses in our community here. And collectively, that would be a very, very determined, driven group of people that are just saying, listen to what we have to say. We should be listening. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I hope that a lot of these smart thinkers that own businesses do get together via Zoom or however that has to happen and start putting thoughts together and, and, documenting those thoughts and coming up with some kind of advisory plan and say, look, you know, you've tried this, you've had a year to do this. This is what we think uh, is, is the right step. You need to evaluate it and listen and listen to us at least give us a listen. Yeah. Give us a listen. And I think you, you maybe we're taking for granted that that's already happening and maybe we just need to, to or we don't even know we don't we, even we have know. no clue. maybe we just need to go do it and then recognize yeah. that we did our part to right. make sure that our voice was heard um because what's coming out of their voice is nowhere close to what anybody understands and so you know here we are today on the morning of an announcement that's about to happen right and this one, of course, like anything else, it gets leaked. <laughs> how, how does it get out there so quickly? It's just amazing. It's amazing. I got this message last night. I want those people to tell us what's really going on behind the scenes, right. too, though. We they have know. to kind of get some kind of insider information on what's really happening. I, I think that would be very important to the people uh, of Ontario. Well, I've, been, I've made a bunch of friends in the media outlets over the last uh, year, um, and so I got a notice last night. Yeah, you're like the CTV darling right now. I see you yeah. on the news pretty much every week. Something like that. It seems like um, they found that I've got a voice that represents people that are um, without a voice. And I'm so grateful. Like, I don't, I don't take it uh, for granted. I'm so grateful that I can get on there, share my opinion. And this last one, um, I felt like I was a bit punchy because I really, uh, I am at the end of the rope. I had some things I wanted to say, but mm. unfortunately got cut off. Um, the, the, was that a time thing or was that you were just making <laughs> some pretty uh, arguable points and uh, who knows, maybe the producer in the, in the, uh, in the, in the control room was like, okay. I hope not he, because he, I think I, uh, here's what happens when you're complacent and you're hopeful and you're optimistic, you know, and you're okay with 
I'm just looking for their leadership, and that's all I've been asking for. Just give us good leadership. We're faithful. We're going to be able to follow some good directions and get out of this. And that's been my message up until last uh, the last interview. Right. And so I'm I'm hopeful that what you're suggesting is not what's going on. And and people, as a result of what I had to say, have come out of the woodwork, and they've been very supportive. And we're with you, and we stand by you, and don't let this happen. And you should fight them. And that's where the push to become that advocate for small business has been more apparent now than ever before. Um, because I guess I'm simply expressing an emotion that they're feeling and they're at, I said, you know, this, this, um, this pause for whatever the government's doing for us was, was called the emergency break. Yeah. And I just got a chance to say, you're you're applying the emergency brake to a like a pile up on the four oh one. This yeah. is the the cars already crashed. They crashed like wave two. Yeah. You know, for small business, you're pulling an emergency brake, but the car's on fire. We're already out of it. You know, yeah. like, you know, what's the chance to save that? It's your brake isn't gonna make a difference. You know what yeah. I mean? Let me just get that. Yeah. Well we're, this is an operating business, so yeah, I don't know if I can right now, though, so um, I, I don't want to be able to disappoint somebody if I can't help them. <laughs> um, in any case, yeah, so I, I think that the use of terms, uh, they got to be cautious with because that also becomes a criticism in the background. It gets people to say, like, now you're breaking. you're doing what Trump does is come up with these slogans and campaigns right. like... Yeah, don't campaign Don't, don't, turn, don't yeah. turn that into that. Don't, like, yeah, let's don't just, campaign me. And the other one was circuit breaker. Hey, listen, the lights have been off for a year. We are, and this is the other stat that blew my mind, um, PLGTA area in, in our region, uh, for those of you that don't know, we're in southern Ontario, um, but in our area, we um, have endured the longest lockdown in North America. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. And so we were hitting, I mean, uh, I saw the numbers I think I think personal services over the course of the year saw over 260 days of lockdown, like no business, like we weren't able to. And so when you start to put those together and you recognize the timing and the and the and the the not open for business side, then you know you're like, come on, like how is it that we are so so far into this? doing the same thing over and over again, not getting the results we want, and we just keep going back to it. I think the last count for us is 130 days of not being open. Um, so, hey, you know, I remain hopeful. That was my favorite thing to say. But, you know, in this last interview, I felt like I was, I was, I was at the point where there is no rope left for us. Yeah. So we better do something here. We got, we, we got to see some leadership. And like I was about to say, we are on the morning of this next announcement, which I got fed last night about 11 o'clock in advance. Um, and it is going to take us into a stay at home order. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not. You know, somebody sent me a note this morning saying it's time to mount the protest. And I'm like, let's wait for the announcement because the devil's in the details. So this could be a chance. And I'm, my fingers are so crossed, they're bleeding. Like, they're so tight that they just come out with logic today. Don't, you know, pass it on to, well, I'm going to pass this on to the minister. How about this? This is your decision. Exactly. This is your leadership group. Deliver the message. Make it clear. Make us all understand it. We're about to go into the, the, the rescheduled spring break for kids. Like, let's 
everybody understand how that's going to affect every piece of our business, every piece of our family, every piece of our, our daily operation. Just tell me. I'm going to believe you if it makes sense. And if it doesn't make sense, we might as well give up. Yeah. Honestly. Well, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. But, I mean, it sounds dramatic enough to say I'm at the end of my rope. And it was made me think back when the first wave came through and they started trumpeting, well, you know, it's the second wave, the second wave. And it's like, well, what have you done to prepare? Mm-hmm. If you have been briefed that there's a second wave coming, what have you put into action? Have you put up a temporary uh, hospital? Uh, there's a there there's a there's a mall near my house with an empty Target store, okay. Why can't you facilitate that? Have makeshift bed, like almost like a mash unit. Yikes. Let's just say yes. But then you hear, well, there's not enough nurses, and not enough doctors. They've all gone to the U.S. It's like, okay, well, where's the problem here? Right. Is it our? We're trying to the entire country completely suffers economically because we're trying to save one institution and that's the medical institution from crumbling. Well, f- obviously <laughs> you guys have failed out of the gate. You need to bring in more staff, bring in more. Like I have no idea what I'm talking about when it comes to the, to the medical profession because I don't know it. But common sense to me says, why aren't there enough doctors? Right. I think we're paying it at a decent level. I'm not sure if it's competitive enough to to be uh, competitive with the U.S., but for Canada, why are we short on nurses and why are we short on doctors? Why don't we address this? Yeah, I think we've got a lot of cleanup to do because we've stressed our system and our um, our programming to its limits. And knowing what we know now, I think we have to really reevaluate how we operate and, and what makes the most sense. Um, there needs to be changes, not on a budgetary. Like the thing is, our government has changed everything based on a budget rather than on what makes sense. How right. do we, I, I'm going everywhere here, but uh, my parents live in Oakville. And uh, there's been so much, um, so many buildings and homes being erected there to the point where the infrastructure just cannot sustain already what the population is now, let alone what's coming. This is what I don't understand about certain communities, cities, and towns where it's like, how can you allow that to happen when you haven't addressed the infrastructure? How are you going to be able to have, everybody here owns a car. The, the roads are six lanes wide and it's jammed already. What do you think is going to happen? Like, how do you make that a, a, a nice civil environment to live in when you're creating more population just for the almighty buck? Yeah, that's where we get into that discussion again about how is it that these decisions are being made and how transparent are they? Yeah. Um, you know, and we, we in this environment too suffer the same challenges. We've got two massive developments happening uh, as a bookend to yeah, our community, big time. which is going to strangle the um, the commute. It's going to really kind of pin down this community, and you wonder how is it that they made decisions to make that happen. And I'll guarantee you the city's going to say, we're going to turn the lakeshore into one lane for mostly bicycles and pedestrians. It's like, you can't even get around now. Right, right. And this is during COVID. It's busy. This is another call. This is another reason for 
us to open our eyes, yeah. to pay attention, and to recognize that collectively we can do something. Independently, it's going to be a lot of effort. So, so how do we start? This is my recommendation. Okay. I think that if you feel like you've got a grievance, if you feel like you've got something to say, and you just don't think that there's a platform for you to do that, I would spend... 15 minutes on the internet and look up associations that are trying to, to uh, get your message across. And it's very simple. I mean, the beautiful part about the search engines now is that you don't have to be so specific and you'll be led in the direction of. So look for associations, look for organizations, look for, you know, um, you know, uh, responsible decision-making like, you know, um, in, in, in maybe it's in your industry. That's where you start. If it's a business that you want to be able to represent and and have us move forward from a business perspective, but also from a mental health perspective, from a um you know a single mom with two kids um, fighting COVID or, or or looking for support. Like I mean, there is so many resources available to us that we would never know unless we went to look for them or have somebody waving their flags, you know, and getting an awareness piece out there to say. You know, in my business, in one of them anyway, this, you know, there's an association, Allied Beauty, or um, um, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but the point was is that they've got somewhere around 60,000 signatures pushing the government to do their agenda. And their right. agenda is very clearly laid out. I want you to do this, this, and this. So now I feel like maybe I can put my support behind that organization. That organization is going to drive that right to the the key decision makers. Right. Whether they want to hear it or not, they have an obligation to take it. Yes. Uh, what? Sorry. Whether they act on it or not is the question. But they have an obligation to take it and to listen to it. Right. Because when being presented in a formal kind of environment, then yeah. that I think is our best answer. Yeah. Um, you have you know, to play. You have to play that game. It's a game. It's a game. You have to play that game in order to get uh, a set of ears and eyes on it. Marching and protesting um, brings some awareness, but I find when people rap, they leave and it's like it's moved on and that's it. But when you when you have you know pen to paper, yes, it's it gets back to um, a very common term in my other business, which is a call to action. Mm -hmm. So you know if you were to put out a campaign and you were looking to drive awareness and you wanted somebody to take action, then you need to really spell out exactly what it is you want to have happen here. Right. And I find that these associations, you know, outside of just people making comments, the associations are really kind of formalizing that process and they are calling to action what they expect to see next. And so if, if you didn't feel like you wanted to lend support to an organization, perhaps it could be for your own good mental health to create your own, you know, group, uh, or, or and this could be a friends, it could be a family, it could be your your weekly bitch session that yeah. just kind of gets you to to dump your information. And you know, sometimes the best ideas aren't from the people you expect. Right. As a matter of fact, I've seen that in business through and through. Some of the best ideas I've ever been able to pull from people have come from the front reception person. Right. You know, the gatekeeper that had more insights because they had a, bra a broader scope of things. They weren't like this. Right. And so sometimes it's going to take somebody, like I, I've said before, going to Mars in, in the crazyville, like, you, we can't do that. But when you start to picture what that's possible there, then you bring back that little inkling of this is possible here. Right. So sometimes you got to go to Mars to be able to get to, you know, back to Earth. Yeah. And in this case, I think um, 
connectedness is going to be our saving grace. Like more of us that are, are speaking the same language, right. have the same script, um, identify what our, our possible outcomes are. Um, just like in business. I mean, we do all the same things. Like we're applying the same thinking that we would to running a business, running a house, running a family to what the government should be doing for us right now. And, you know, when I try to, when I try to move something through in my family environment, you know, um, the the dictator and you know, the totalitarian guy that that you know exists in some families coming down with this is the rule and you know you always find that that's met with opposition and there's a much better way to navigate that and that's to rally everybody behind what you would like to get done so if i can convince my family my kids that it's a good idea to go clean the yard it's not going to be me me saying we're cleaning the yard today you know because that just that meets with aggression and right. and, and and challenge it actually you know for me to be able to be creative about how i can get them to think they've authored the idea because wouldn't it be great if you could bounce on the trampoline today <laughs> and then of course the answer is yes yeah. well you really can't because it's filled with leaves and why don't we all get outside and see if we can put that together so you guys can have a fun afternoon right you can see there's a totally difference in the yeah, yeah in the way that you operate um that 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 leadership tip just came from Louis J here at Staying Alive, uh, and that goes right to our elected politicians. So, listen, it's been a great uh, conversation again today, Frank. I appreciate. Yeah, I also want to remind our listeners and viewers too, like we're not we're we've been kind of stuck on on this topic for the last couple of podcasts because it's happening now. We're living history. Uh, we're in the moment, and these are we're we're witnessing some decision making that just. It's completely confusing, and we have to address it. You know, we do want to have more guests once uh, restrictions uh, open up a bit. We might do a few Zoom calls and stuff and get back to the topics that we love to talk about, which is entrepreneurship and business and, and all those interesting things like marketing and, and um, you know, people that are starting their own ventures. That's what really, you know, charges us, and we, we do want to get back to that. But we think it's really important to be talking about this. Yeah, it's topical. It's relevant right now for us. And um, it's something that I think therapeutically is kind of getting us through. So, you know, I, I don't want it to be the focus, but I think right now it's the right time. Yeah. And when it's not the right time, we'll move away from it. Right. But in the meanwhile, thanks, guys, for joining us. I do appreciate everything um, uh, that you've commented on. And to that point, send in, you know, um, your suggestions on what we should be talking about. And if you found that this was remotely entertaining, um, maybe even insightful, then please give us a like, give us a follow, give us a subscribe and share it um, because that's how this stuff works. And uh, I'm grateful for your time to spend with me. So um, thanks everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Enjoy your day and the beautiful weather coming our way.